This presentation is from UX Australia 2016, held in Melbourne. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. Please join me in welcoming Ruth and Julia to the stage. Thank you. Um, hello, uncomfortably large group of people. Um, my name's Ruth. <laughs> this is Julie. We work at an, a web company in Wellington, New Zealand called Trade Me. We're going to talk to you today about how mobile phones have changed the lives of New Zealanders. But first I'm going to tell you about someone called Sarah. Last year, Julie and I were talking to a woman who I'll call Sarah. Sarah was one of those people who you just kind of instantly liked the moment she bounced into the room. She was open, she was loving, she was down to earth. She was balancing raising her kids, working, and even had time to take on internet trolls. Sarah had had a pretty terrible last few years. About seven years ago, her husband had found out that he had cancer, and within that very same week, her baby girl died of cot death. Within a year or two, she'd lost her husband from that cancer. So with her husband gone, and her baby girl gone, and trying to cope with other kids, she tried to continue to exist in the small town that she was from, but she just felt like she was suffocating. So she made the decision to move with her bigger kids to the city, and, that, and it was a few years after that that Julie and I met Sarah. We were there to ask Sarah about her mobile phone. We were not there to watch her use her mobile phone, which is a key distinction. We were there to find out how she felt about her mobile phone and how it actually fitted into her life. For Sarah, her mobile phone was everything. It wasn't the flashest, it wasn't the newest, but she decorated it to make it her own. It had a pink cover that, that was changed regularly and had one of those dangly things hanging off the side, which, for the sake of this presentation, I found out is actually called a charm. When we asked her what she would do if she lost her phone, she screwed up her face, looked at us for a long time as if we were really crazy and just said, well, I wouldn't. In the evening, Sarah would get the kids sorted for bed, then head up, 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 head up upstairs with her phone and her iPad and literally snuggle under the covers with both of them. She'd use them to play games, she'd use them to communicate with her late husband's family, and she'd use it to connect to the groups on the internet that had been her support over those last few years. Her mobile phone meant so much to her. Her mobile phone kind of meant everything to her. I remember her leaving the room at the end of the session, and Julie and I just turning to each other and saying, this is why we did this piece of research. Up until that point, we'd been meeting people using their mobile phones day in and day out. We'd probably watched about 500 people interact with their mobile phones or mobile phone prototypes. And we'd probably asked about 50,000 people through surveys what type of phone they had, what they used them for. We understood how they used their phone to buy coffee machines. We understood how they felt about looking for jobs or property on their phones. But we knew nothing about what their phone actually meant to them and how it fitted into their day-to-day -day lives. We couldn't answer these two basic questions. How do people feel about their mobile phones and how do they fit into their lives? So we decided to do a research study on these very questions. We did one-hour interviews with 32 people across four locations throughout New Zealand. They involved in-depth interviews as well as a card-sorting exercise. 
we had 1,676 people respond to a survey and we did a whole heap of desk-based research. The most interesting thing for us is that we made a conscious effort to do away with our so what test. So for us, we're an, external, an internal UX research team in a larger organisation. So so what for trade me is kind of a mantra of our team. It's a constant test that what we're researching and what we're investigating will have real application tomorrow for the teams that need it. But we did away with that here. It was the first time we had. We wanted to keep it broad enough so that we didn't define too early how we would apply this afterwards. Um, in hindsight, this had its pros and, and its cons. Um, this is probably a good time to give you a quick insight into who we are, as, who Trade Me is. If we put it in comparable terms to Australian websites, we're probably like the following websites combined, but on a New Zealand scale. So we're eBay Australia, realestate.com.au, carsales.com.au, and Seek, although Seek is still number one in New Zealand as well. Um, today there'll be about 750,000 unique browsers accessing TradeMe. Because our offering is so broad, the way people access it through their mobile phones is also really broad. This shows most of our current mobile apps and touch points. So back to the research, what did we find? We came up with eight different key identities that we saw people consistently have with their mobile phones. Here I'll map them against how emotionally attached they are to their phone and how important the phone is practically in their lives. At one extreme is the one we've called we're inseparable, highest emotional attachment and pretty high practical attachment. That's where Sarah is. Um, how many of you were at Derek Featherstone's talk yesterday? Yeah, a few of you. So that guy's also there. He's sleeping with his phone on his chest, so he's, 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 he's in that we're inseparable group. At the other end are two that, the first one is it's a means to an end, who have almost no emotional attachment to their phone, and my use is deliberate. Their, their use, well, is deliberate. Um, it's, they, they don't want their phones to take over their lives, so they, have to be really, they want to be really careful about how they use it. Then we've got a smattering of identities through the middle there. It's an essential work tool, no surprises, it's highly practical. I like the way it looks and feels are people who think that their phone says something about them and the tribe that they belong to, and they get real pleasure from the way it looks. Um, as an aside, I'm an Android user, and I was slightly annoyed through the research to find that Apple users generally have a better experience with their phones, um, or at least believe they do, I don't know. Um, Julie's an iPhone user, so that's the way we made the research balanced. Um, the downtime group used their phone for relaxation and enjoyment. Lifeline, or it's my social lifeline, are people who use it a heap to connect with family and friends. And my favourite, because I just find it quite interesting, is I just connect to reconnect. It's actually, it doesn't really fit on this scale, so we've kind of plonked it in there because there was enough room. Um, Julie will describe this identity and three of the other ones now. Cool. So what we've done um, is we don't have time to talk about all of these. So we've picked four of the identities that we think provide a really good cross-section of what we found. Um, we've got videos of people um, describing these identities in their own words. Uh, no, no movie spoilers or samurai swords, samurai swords like uh, the Liam hand. Um, but as you can imagine, we got really great footage from the interviews we did as part of the study. Um, just for privacy reasons, we, we couldn't use it. So what we did is we talked to a bunch of our, our colleagues at Trade Me, um, and, and you'll be seeing from those today. Hearing from those. 
Um, so let's take a look at those people who disconnect to reconnect. The really interesting thing about these people is how highly aware they are um, of the impact that their mobile device has on some aspect of their life and their purposeful, planned disconnection from their phone. Um, so Jimmy will explain this. In the morning, I will wake up and have a look at Facebook and uh, clear my emails, uh, have a look at the news, uh, then have a look at Twitter if I really have a little bit of time and, and troll through there and see what businessy news tech stuff is going on. So I try to make a conscious effort not to walk around with my phone uh, because it's too tempting for me to actually pick up. And so I have, by the time I get home, I have about an hour or so for, before the kids go to bed. And so try my very best to walk in the front door, take keys out of pocket, take wallet out of pocket, take phone out of pocket and uh, leave them on the, the bench. Uh, and I reckon I have a 50% success rate with that. But then once I put the kids to bed, I literally walk downstairs and then straight away will pick up my phone, which is not a conscious decision, but it's like there are, it's kind of like there are sweets on the table just sitting there and I can leave them there for only so long and then after a while the, the lure of the sweets becomes too much. I just have to pick them up and, uh, and indulge myself. So quite common, we heard that kind of thing over and over again. And what really came out of this can be summarised in a few uh, interconnected factors. So phone use can be at the expense of um, real physical social connection and interactions. So by drawing or by demanding people's time, a phone can be really intrusive um, and it can fracture moments. And, and we heard people talk about how it can separate families or separate their, their social groups that are really important to them. And this really can lead a shift in how people feel about their phone and how it fits into their life. Um, and what was previously thought of as, as I'm spending time on my phone can really quickly shift to feel like they're wasting time on their phone. So the next one is, it's my downtime. What stands out about those who use their phone in their downtime is just how much they genuinely enjoy it and how it's become a, real, a really important um, part of their daily life. Um, so Alice describes this really well. Um, I, it's always on me. Um, uh, work emails, personal emails, um, Candy Crush. <laughs> when you play Candy Crush? Um, at night, so after dinner, sitting in front of the TV. I'm always on my phone, which seems kind of weird, but... Yeah. Is there any, what are the other things you're doing apart from Candy Crush at night? On my phone? Yeah. Yep, so checking Facebook kind of quite often. Um, Instagram, Snapchat. Yeah, I think after dinner's kind of my time where I let loose on all my social media apps. Um, yeah, and then Candy Crush I find is just a mindless thing I'm doing while I'm kind of doing other stuff. I guess it's, it's kind of a way of relaxing, so it's, it's like I've shut off from the day, I'm in my comfy clothes, I've got my phone, dinner's done, I've done the stuff that I need to do for the next day, whether it's put the washing on or whatever, and then I'm just sitting there and it's kind of like a, I guess like a re relaxation aid. Um, and I find it really, like the, especially Candy Crush, and I've just actually downloaded this other new game called Monument Valley, which is like a real, um, almost like a, not a meditation game, but it's like... 
it's, I just find it, I don't think about anything. It's that monotonous, kind of cathartic. Yeah, so I guess it supports that. <laughs> so as you can see, need isn't driving Alice's mobile phone use. It's all about want. And what was interesting to us is that in a relatively short amount of time, people like Alice have really come to rely on their phone as one of those key sources of entertainment and relaxation. Sure, she might not particularly be, be particularly proud that she's at level 600 and something of Candy Crush, um, but she clearly really enjoys it and perhaps has even come to value it. What's also interesting here is that, in contrast to Jimmy, Alice really sees the use of her mobile phone in downtime as a really important source of social connection, um, and that's largely through her use of social media. So Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat are part of her, her social world. So Alice was clearly um, quite delighted about using her mobile phone, but when you ask someone who thinks of their phone as a means to an end, how they feel about it, um, you're likely to just get a really vague look, sometimes a blank stare, um, and it really just screams, what are you on about? Um, Ruth and I came up against that again and again when we were doing these interviews, and Daresh and Jamie are really good examples. I can probably live without a phone. Um, It's sort of necessary, but if I go away for a week where there's no reception, I don't miss it. It's, it's just a, it's a tool, it's a handy tool. Sometimes I actually do enjoy being without it for a little bit, like if I go away to somewhere kind of remote on a trip, if I'm hiking in the mountains or something, I, I quite enjoy not having it, yeah. so I'm, I'm probably more used to it than some people might be, I don't have that kind of fear of separation and anxiety, whatever you want to call it, you know. How do you feel towards your phone? Um... It's just another object I own, really. It's, I don't have any real sentimental feelings towards it at all. Um, yeah, I, I just see it as something that's useful to me, really, like a car or a bike or something. I'm not a, I'm not a person that maybe sets a lot of feeling behind objects like that. Cause I, I don't often take photos of my phone because I find that I don't really go back to them. And in actual fact, like, when I switch between phones, I pretty much just dumped all the photos that I had on there and moved to the new phone. I don't really care, which really annoyed my girlfriend because she loved some of the photos that were on there, and so I really got it in the neck. So both Daresh and Jamie talked to us about um, apps that they had paid for, one of them being a weather app that cost $6. Um, and, and they really talked about the functional aspects of those apps and how they fulfilled a really particular need that they had at that time. And I think for these people, that's really the operative word. It's all about need. Their mobile phone use is based on a really specific set of needs, and it's often highly situational as well. So their use is likely to change as those needs change. So when we think of um, it as a a phone, as a work tool, there's really two sides to consider here. Um, The first one is when someone is really a key point of contact for work, and the second one is when the phone is a key work tool. And just for clarity, we'll look at those separately. So those that are a key point of contact in the work context are often, um, or at least initially, really resigned to the fact that they need to use a phone. And some people describe that to us as it being a, a kind of an incongruous necessity. Paul explains this. Yeah, I guess the nature of the, the, my role, there's stuff that's coming in in particular from media or whatever, or we're sharing information with other people that we've seen in, in the media, so yeah, there's an element of it being um, pretty relentless in that sense. 
I was thinking when I was thinking about that um, before this, it's, it's like I think my stuff's more important than the stuff that they're doing. But in their universe, like a work email is not even a thing. So she's never. I don't know why I keep having that argument with her. To say, yeah, but I'm actually doing my. This is work. Like I don't want to be doing this. I. This is my work. I've got. I'm kind of managing my day for tomorrow. Yeah. Whereas for her, it's very much a, a social thing. But obviously, guess what? She's managing her day for tomorrow as well. So just yeah, different, doing different things to achieve the same purpose. I think. So Paul also alludes to that other key aspect, which is how a mobile phone can support people's work in a, real, in a way that it really becomes a part of their processes. Um, and Roxy illustrates this quite well. I've got my mobile phone with me because I kind of carry it around with me wherever I go, so at work. Um, it reminds me of meetings. It's, I can check my calendar. I can write down notes when I forget things. Um, or so I don't forget things. Um, it's got my work swipe card on the back of it and my credit card, so it's, yeah, it's pretty attached to me. For me, it's kind of an extension of my brain. <laughs> so it helps me remember things. Um, it keeps me relatively on time. Um, keeps me in contact with people, so... I don't know, maybe it's kind of like, you know, like glasses, they enable you to... It's like a tool that you have on yourself that enables you to function better. So it's like a, it augments my, my memory or... So a phone isn't just about those things like phone calls and emails anymore. It's now also about the way it organises people and their work. And like Roxy said, it's capacity to really augment some part of themselves. Like she talked about it being like her brain. Um, other people talked, to, talked about it being their memory or their other right hand. So it's not the thing itself, like not the phone itself that's so important here. It's really about what it um, lets them do. So the other thing to note here is that these eight identities aren't mutually exclusive, um, and people can have more than one identity. Um, for example, the I disconnect to reconnect almost always goes hand in hand with some other identity. Um, and the more emotionally and practically kind of connected um, you are to your phone, the more likely you are to fit into multiple identities. Um, so, for example, the people down the bottom there, my use is deliberate, means to an end, um, they're, they're, they're almost always just one identity. And then when we go up towards uh, Derek there and, and we're inseparable, uh, it's, it's more likely, for example, that they're also using it as their downtime and as an important source of, of social connection in the way that the lifeline people are. I'll hand back over to Ruth. Cool, so that's a whirlwind through the identities. Um, we did a bunch of other stuff to try and sort of understand a bit more about the context of where these fit, um, and we tried to map it against a few other behaviours. We did find a relationship between these identities and the types and frequency of communication. So if you think about the communication type there, essentially on the left, it's traditional ways to communicate, um, text, phone calls, and on the right are really sort of the recent modes of communication, WhatsApp, Snapchat, Keek, those kind of things. We also did find a relationship between the identities and how often people shop online, so both browsing and buying. Um, unfortunately for us in our job security, we didn't find any links with how they use TradeMe and these identities, so that's kind of the device they were using, the frequency, any of the relationships based on TradeMe that we tested it against. Um, we have taken these findings, though, and applied them to other bits of research, the sort of some other so what bits of research we've done around kind of what it means to be young and social in New Zealand and how people are using their own social networks to buy and sell. So what did we take from all this? 
I think firstly, when we really thought about it, um, it kind of blew our minds that the invention of the mobile phone had possibly been the object that had created the biggest change in our lives. It's easy to think of other things that either have high emotional attachment or high practical attachment, but we certainly couldn't think of anything that had both of these and more. It was downtime, it was that social connection. At its core, it's truly about being personal. Um, for Julie and I, it made us realise that in the Trade Me context, we'd been thinking about our own Trade Me apps and touch points all wrong. We'd been thinking about them in terms of the Trade Me ecosystem bubble, like which app do people use, how do they interact across apps. But our users had already leapfrogged us in our thinking. Their use of their mobile phone was not about which apps they have or how they use those apps. It was about them. So we really feel like things like conversational commerce and where Siri and Google Now are heading mean that we as a company need to stop thinking about how our brand fits on mobile and much rather how our brand can support the way people do and want to use their mobile phone. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from New York's Australia 2016. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.